Oh, God, we thank you for the chance to worship you. We thank you for the chance to sing your praise. Um, God, I pray uh, for those who are still sleepy, um, for those who are distracted, for those who are weighed down by, by sin and shameful desires and, and things that steal their joy and take their joy away from the joy they have when they look at you. Um, God, I pray that you would redirect our hearts and you would redirect our eyes and you would refresh our joy. Um, God, empower me by your spirit to preach your word. And God, I pray that you'd empower all of us uh, to listen, to hear, to be transformed for your glory. Amen. All right, so we are continuing the series in the book of Philippians called Enjoy Again. And we're calling it that because that's exactly what this letter is. Um, one of the words that, that Paul uses again and again is this old school word, rejoice, uh, which is just another way of saying, enjoy again. Remember again the joy that we have in Jesus Christ and, and treasure it, celebrate it, um, remind each other of it. What we're going to see this morning is, is how the joy of the gospel begins to bring about gospel transformation. I'm going to interrupt what we're doing here really quick. I'm going to ask the tech team, can you pull? Oh, that is awesome. I can see some of your faces now. I don't know if you can see me quite as well, but it's really good to be able to see a few of your eyes. Awesome. All right. So themes that we have in the book of Philippians, we have, we have joy and we have partnership in the gospel and we have how the joy of the gospel brings about transformation through that joy. So this morning, we're essentially continuing the introduction to the book. We're looking at um, Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 through 11, exploring the nature of their shared participation in the gospel and, and of the ways that Paul is praying um, for this church out of that shared participation. So the big idea is this. Paul loves these guys. He treasures these guys. This, uh, the, the people in the church of Philippi, he can't put into words how much he loves and enjoys them. And he loves and enjoys them because of their shared participation in the gospel. And now it's out of that shared participation that he is praying that they would also share in the transformation that the gospel can bring about. So that's where we're going this morning. And just to get us kind of back in the flow of the story and kind of, kind of where we left off last week, I got a simple question for you. And I think some of you dads are going to resonate with this more. Um, you ever been in a situation where, where you show the appropriate amount of affection, but the other person just isn't very good at receiving the affection? You know, so it's that moment when, when you go to hug your teenager and they just, they just stand there like a limp fish saying, you know, not, they don't even necessarily say it out loud, but implicitly they're saying, Dad, you're embarrassing me again. Yes, Chloe, I know I'm embarrassing you again. You know, and, and, and because they're, like, not participating, you're just like, okay, well, you're going to get a kiss now, too. And so, you know, you give them a kiss, and then you move on to your day, and I don't know. It's, it's not what it was when they were little, but, but you still love them. That's the moment that we're picking up in this story, where, where Paul, he has been gushing about his affection for the Philippian church, and he's going to continue to do it, because, you know, that's just kind of how dads are, that's how, that's how pastors are, it's, it's, it's uncontrollable, he can't really stop himself. But, but he's just been gushing about how he loves them. He wrote in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Like, like the thought of you pops into my head and I just explode. I explode with joy because that's just how I love you. He continues, in, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. 
Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So again, he's just, he's just giddy about them because of their partnership in the gospel. And as Paul pours out his love in the, in the form of a letter, he has one of those kind of affectionate father moments where he's just like, oh, okay, did I overdo it? Did, did I take that a little bit too far? And so he backs up and he begins to justify himself and explain, no, this is just the right amount of affection. And that's, that's where our story picks up right now with a discussion of their shared participation in the gospel. Verse 7. He said, it's, it's right for me to feel this way about you. This is right. This is good. It's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And when I read that, like the sentimentality jumps off the page. But, but what I want us to understand is this is more than a hallmark moment. It's more than sentimentality. And, and one of the things, again, with the book of Philippians is that there's themes and, and words and phrases that he goes back to again and again and again. And this word that, that most translations are going to translate, um, I feel this way about you, kind of because of the context and the things going on. Later in the letter, most translations are going to say, well, I think this way about you. Or this is the attitude that I have toward you. This is, this, this is the attitude that I have toward you that, that leads to action. This is the perspective that I have towards you that plays out in the way that I live toward you. So it's, it's not just a feeling word. And likewise, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And again, we hear heart, and to us, that's sentimentality. Okay, but in the Greco-Roman world, if you want to talk about feelings, you talk about the guts, you talk about the spleen. I don't even know exactly what the spleen is, but it's in there somewhere, and, and that was the association that they made with feelings. But when they talked about the heart, they were talking about the entirety of the person. So, so Paul's saying, in my relationship with you, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm emotionally engaged, but I'm also intellectually engaged. I'm, I'm volitionally engaged. He says, I'm like a parent. You know, and, and that's how a good parent is towards their child. Like, yeah, I got all sorts of feelings toward you. You take, take that for granted, but, but you're on my mind. You're, you're in my prayers. You know, my idle thoughts are idle thoughts about you. And if you have a need, I'm going to be active. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in there. It's, it's not just feelings. It's not just thoughts. It's not just aspirations. No, there's, there's volition and there is action. I am all in toward you. That's what he's saying. It's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart, since the entirety of my being is connected to you. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains, that's, that's literally in a Roman prison, a Roman dungeon, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Some older translations, they, they, they want to bring out share. Share is kind of like a wimpy word. It's kind of milk toast. It doesn't really, it doesn't convey a lot to us. And so like some of the older translations, they'll say, um, you, you guys are fellow partakers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we still don't talk that way, but, but if you think about kind of like the old school way to do communion, like, like we, have, um, we have COVID communion right now where it's all like very separated and a little bit sterile and it uh, doesn't quite have the feel, you know, but, but like kind of the old school traditional church way of doing communion, you've got a, a small group of people together and there's actually one loaf. 
You know, and that's what we see in the Gospels when Jesus is breaking the bread. He's literally breaking a single, a single loaf of bread, and he gives us this symbol so that, so that again, kind of in the ideal, in the, in the full, in the simple, um, you, you're breaking one loaf as if to remind one another we share in one body. We all draw our life and our salvation and our joy from that same body that was broken for us on the cross. Amen? Okay, so we're, we're shared participants. We're, we're shared partakers in the body of Christ. We're shared partakers in the gospel of his grace. And, and there's a unity there, and there's a joy there. There's, there's, there's a connection there that is absolutely profound. Again, in Paul's words, we're fellow partakers in God's grace, meaning we're we're fellow recipients of God's grace and salvation. And we're fellow partners in the work of sharing the good news with others. And we're fellow participants in these gospel-shaped lives. And all of that was profoundly encouraging to Paul, and he wanted it to be profoundly encouraging to his audience, and, and I believe God the Holy Spirit wants it to be profoundly encouraging to us. Paul says, whether I'm, if I'm suffering in a, in a Roman dungeon, I know that you love me and you suffer with me. You know, or if I'm out in the public square in a new town and I'm proclaiming the gospel to people I've never met before, to a hostile audience, I know that your prayers go out with me. You know, and, and when that audience gets a little bit hostile and, 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 and I just look at them and I'm like, I don't think anyone's engaging. I don't, I don't think anyone's with me in this. I don't think anyone is, is, is going to surrender their life to Christ today. He's reminded of the day that he came to Philippi and he met this unlikely motley, no offense to our motley crew, no offense to our our sound guy back there, that's his last name. Um, He he just met this this band of misfits, these these people that had nothing in common and no indication that they would ever come to Christ. But when he preached the gospel, they believed. And so as he goes out and he preaches the gospel to others and he's tempted to be discouraged, it's their very faith that encourages him. And reminds him of the power of the gospel to transform people's lives. He says, I love you. I take great joy in our relationship because you are in the trenches with me. Because you have a connection with me. You understand what he elsewhere refers to as the inexpressible and glorious joy of being reconciled to Christ. We, We share this in common and he says, I cannot tell you. What an encouragement that is to me. When I think about this verse, I think about all the people that have gone out from this church. You know, some intentionally and some unintentionally. Some have have gone out as missionaries, you know, to to China or to Cuba or to India or to, you know, all places all over Africa. And some have gone out as church planters, you know, to to Detroit or Grand Rapids or, you know, who knows where the next one's going to go. I think about the people who have gone out and the people who will go out. You know, I think about the people who haven't gone out on any grand missionary endeavor you know, but they've just moved across the country and around the world. I got a, I got a, a text. Um, you, I'm just going to share it. I don't know if this, I think this is appropriate for online. I want you guys this week to be praying for David Foss and his family. David Foss, um, he and his family were a part of this church for, I don't know, three or four years, probably four or five years ago. He's a military guy. He was, he was 
doing a master's degree here. Right now, he's, he's on a base somewhere in Romania, and a few days ago, he got news that his father had unexpectedly died. You know, so he's halfway around the world, and, and dad is dead. And you can imagine what that does inside of you. You know, the regret that wells up, saying, oh, man, I just, why am I across the world? Why wasn't, why wasn't I in Colorado getting you know, a few more days, a few more weeks with my dad. Well, because he had no idea that his dad was going to die. It was unexpected. And it's hard and it's tragic. And genuinely, I share that because I want you to be praying for him. You know, and, and I think about him in Romania and, you know, we got Denmark and Brazil and California and Colorado and Idaho and Ohio and, you know, Chicago and LA and Atlanta and New York and, and Washington, D.C. And just, just people who have gone out kind of everywhere imaginable, and who continue to go out everywhere imaginable. And as, as some people go and some people stay, it's easy to maintain a camaraderie with the people who stay. You know, we're in the trenches together every, every day. We're, we're, we're in it together, and, you know, it's kind of sad that those people went, and some of them it was exciting that they went, you know, that we were really sending them. But, but eventually it's easy to become out of sight, out of mind. And I just don't want us to be that way. You know, we have, we have so many advantages that we can stay connected. You know, people around the world, last night, you're like, I'm, I'm texting back and forth to Romania, and it's, and it's instant. You know, for Paul, there's it, out of sight, out of mind, out of connection. It might be years. There's a good chance I'm never going to see these people again. And yet, he's connected, you know, on an emotional level, on an intellectual level, on a volitional level. These are my people. These are my family. Isn't that how we want to be? You know, and I think, like, I thought about making a list, but I'm like, I'm going to leave somebody off the list and be hurtful, so I'm not even going to make a list. But we got, we got a lot of people who are, like, raising support right now or, or doing a temporary thing here because of COVID, but they're, they're looking to head around the world. I'll name one. I got one who's nodding on the front row, Austin, here, you know? When Austin goes out, as he's gone out a few times before, I don't want him to be out of sight, out of mind. You know, I want, I want us to be praying for him. I want us to be partnering with him. I know newsletters are hard, Austin. I don't always read the newsletter. But, 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 when I, but, but, but when we can connect, you know, we connect. And I pray for you. And, and we want that as we go forward, right? Because we have, we have a shared participation that's deeper than sitting in the same room. You know, we are fellow partakers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and that, that lends a gospel bond that's amazing and that's profound. Amen? So he shares that, and, and by implication, he invites us to live out the same. Because we are ascending people who worship ascending God. And it's beautiful. Paul continues, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Think about the phrase. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's like, you know, we we talk a lot about how Jesus loves you. That's how I love you. The compassion that Jesus has for you, he says, "That's, that's the kind of compassion that I have for you. Is he bragging here? Not at all. He's saying that that God is in the process of transforming me from the inside out by the power of his spirit, and he is putting in me the same love that is in him, and he is directing that love and that joy and that passion toward you. 
That's amazing. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He he doesn't know how to more emphatically say this is true. So he says, only God knows how much I love you. And he can testify to it. I call God as my witness of my love for you. It's absolutely beautiful. Only God knows how much I love you. And so I pray for you. And again, kind of, the, kind of the flow of what we're looking at so far, he's just geeking out and celebrating and finding so much joy in their shared participation in the gospel. And now he prays for them that that shared participation will roll out into shared transformation. Verse 9. And this is my prayer for you. This is how I pray. I pray that your love may abound, that it may overflow, that it may multiply, that it may grow. I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Who is this love for? It doesn't say, but I, th- I-, I think we can safely, uh, s- safely believe that it's love for God. And it's love for each other. And it's love for the world because, again, it's the kind of love that God has. That, that he is working by his Holy Spirit into us. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So Paul is praying for a love that is rooted in the author of love. He's praying for a love to be cultivated in them that is rooted in God's word, that's rooted in getting to know God better and getting to know the gospel better and understanding both how he made us and how he made our world. He wants our love to be impacted by his character. To what end? Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Again, so that you may be able to discern what is best. He says, I want you to be able to figure out for yourselves what is best. Not just good from evil, but good from best. Because every day, you and I are making choices. A thousand times throughout the day, you and I are making choices. You know, as soon as the service is over, as soon as, as, soon as you're away from people, maybe before you're away from people, many of you, almost all of you, you're going to pick up a phone. You know, there's this, this addictive reflex thing where, you know, there's a little break in the action and you look at your phone. And maybe you click on your phone and there's going to be a choice. Like, am I going to click the Bible app or, you know, the latest sermon podcast or whatever? Am I going to pick, you know, whatever game I'm addicted to or, or the news outlet that I'm addicted to or, or whatever? There's, there's just choices that we're going to make. You know, you're going to get in your car and some of you who are introverts, you're going to be like, praise God. And it's not that you're going to talk to God, but it's going to be like this, this solemn Um, you know, amazing, truly quiet, quiet time in the presence of God, and it's going to be awesome. And some of you extroverts like me, you're going to have a choice to make. Either either you can talk to God, you know, because you're going to be talking to somebody. You're not going to sit alone. Like, who does that? Who's going to sit quietly in their car? But, you know, but but you're either going to talk to God, or you're going to look through your phone, and you're going to pick someone that you can call. You know, but it's a, it's a choice. And, and these are, these are good choices. Like, like fiddling around on your phone, maybe it's not exactly good, but it's not evil. It's not wicked. You know, but, but, but he's saying, I want you to be able to choose between the good and the best. And he says, I don't want to give you a bunch of legalistic rules of, well, this is good 
And you should feel okay about this, but maybe a little bit shameful. And this is best, and this is what you should be doing 24-7. He's not looking for a rules-based change of behavior, but he's looking for gospel transformation. He says, I want your love to abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. I want your, your knowledge of the gospel and the love for God that's at work in you to, to transform your desires, to rewire you from the inside out to want different things. And that's not a work that can happen just because you want it. It's a work that God does supernaturally within us. And so he prays. Now we partner in it, we join him in it, but, but this transformation, it's driven by prayer. He says, I want you to have different desires. I don't want to chase you around. I don't want to guilt you. I don't want to shame you. I just want your desires to be changed. And, and I can't change it with a sermon, and you can't change it just for wanting it. So we're going to pray that God connects the dots in your heart. That he, that he helps you to see his love for you and his grace for you and, and, and the joy that you can have in him in such a way that, that more of your choices just start leaning towards him and start leaning towards the things that he loves and the people that he loves. He says, I pray for you that your love may abound more and more. He says, I want your love to grow, but, but, but I want those loves to be specific. I want them to be shaped, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, shaped by God's word, shaped by the gospel, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Because he goes to, to, to the phrase pure and blameless, and because I just want to sink this a little bit deeper, let's, let's think about just a little bit how this works out like in the area of sexual purity. Okay, Because he's talking about being pure and blameless. I want to I look at this from, from a legalistic perspective, and I want to look at this from a gospel perspective. You know, and, and by a gospel perspective, I'm not saying license. I'm not saying go out and make stupid decisions. But, you know, kind of like as, as the modern church reevaluates the 80s and the 90s and even the 2000s, there's a lot of talk about purity culture. And like, what exactly were we doing there? You know, where, where we put so much emphasis on these teenagers that, that this is like the one thing that you've got to get right. You know, get this right. Here, have a, have a ring. Have, have a stadium event. Get this right. We're all going to get this right. This, this is it. This is it. Okay? And until this rule, until this, this act of obedience to Christ, of, of maintaining sexual purity, until this becomes the central overarching thing. I, I don't see Jesus anymore. I just see abstinence. You know, this is the good thing that I've got to do to make God happy or to make my parents happy or to be a good person, you know, whatever it is. There's a lot of fear in that. Like, like, like if I mess this up, life's over. You know, there's, there's no recovery if I mess this up. There's a lot of pride in that. Like, I'm pure, you know. Dirty people over there, and they're not, they're not pure. There's a lot of shame in that. Because none of us is pure. And it might be, oh, you, 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 kinda, you kept yourself from a physical act that violates God's character, that violates God's law, that's, that's, that's out, of, out of context, outside of marriage. But I promise you, you didn't keep your mind from going there. 
And what does Jesus say about that? He, he says that, you know, yeah, you, you looked at the woman and lustfully, you already committed adultery in your heart. And so when we make such a big deal out of the rules, no matter how good you are at following the rules, if you're being honest with yourself, you're not fully following the rules, and there's shame. And it's a beating. You know, so whatever it amounts to, I mean, if, if you're doing great, you're, you're proud. Which, which, if you remember right, that's sinful too. But hey, we don't want to talk about that because pride's kind of a hard sin to quantify, and, and I can't really compare my pride to your pride. Well, I can. I mean, I think you're probably more proud than I am, right? So on the abstinence side, we, we've got the sin of pride. And on the, you know, sinfully, sexually engaging, you know, we've, we've got sins of lust and all of those sorts of things. What does the law leave us with? One way or another, it leaves us wallowing in our sin. It leaves us wallowing in our shame. It leaves us isolating and comparing ourselves to one another. Did I perform well? Did I perform poorly? Did you perform well? Did you perform poorly? Are you one of the people that I can look down on? Because I need somebody to look down on because, because my identity is being shaped by my actions and it's not going very well. Let's compare that to the transformation that comes through the gospel. Do we call sin, sin? Absolutely. Do we, do, we, do we call our brothers and sisters to purity? Absolutely. But we remind them again and again, hey, you're sinful. I'm sinful. You're broken. I'm broken. I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if that brokenness works out in, in, in any particular way. Because that's just how we are. And yet there is a God who loves us in spite of us. There's, there's a God who sees in technicolor clarity like, whoa, you are more wretched than you think you are. And yet I love you. There, there's a God who looks at our desires and says, man, your, your desires are disordered. And I love you. You know, you, you, you're chasing after all sorts of craziness. And I'm chasing after you. In, in the gospel, we meet a God who is, who is gracious to us again, again and again who meets us in the midst of our failures and comforts us like a good parent would comfort us and say, I'm not mad at you. I'm I'm not surprised by you. You know, I'm I'm not expecting my four-year-old to be perfect. I'm not expecting my 14-year-old to be perfect. I'm not expecting my 44-year-old to be perfect. Yeah, you're kind of jacked up, but you're mine. Yes. We're, we're aware of God's law, and God's law reflects God's character, and that's a good thing, and that's why we want to obey it. But, but, but we mainly obey it because there's this God who has just lavished us with his love. And as we see his love more clearly, as, as his love for us, as we see how abounding that is, Paul prays that our love for him would also abound, and, and our love for our neighbor would also abound. And that's a wonderful check on your sexual purity because like the scripture says, you know, all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but, but, but the one who sins sexually, he sins against his own. She sins against her own body. And likewise, by implication, so she sins against the other person's body. You know, so as my love abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, I don't want to sin against my sister in Christ. I don't want to sin against my brother in Christ. Okay. But, but Jesus is looking to transform us at the desire level. He's looking to change what we love. And he's 
patient and gracious with us as that works out into the action level, all right? And hopefully by the time it begins to work out in the action level and we could objectively look and see, oh, you know, I don't sin in that way that some of those other people sin, hopefully it's also worked out on the humility level, you know? So we don't just enter into a new sin of pride looking down on other people, amen? That's the kind of transformation that he's looking to bring about. And again, this is the object of Paul's prayer. He's like, you have participated with me in the gospel, and now I pray that gospel transformation is going to overflow out of that participation. God who is sympathetic with our weakness and yet gives us the power to walk in righteousness. This is beautiful. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. So you can see it clearly for yourself. So you don't need a list of rules telling you this is what's best, this is what's good, this is what's okay, this is what you should feel really good about, this is what you should be mildly shamefully about. No, so you can discern for yourself what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. That is the day in which we see him face to face. And he makes us truly blameless, not by human effort, but by miraculous power, because he is the only one who can truly make us pure. And so any progress that we make towards purity in our daily lives, we give glory to him. Because it's not something that we manufacture. No, he is the one who makes pure. He is the one who began the work. We learned last week, he is the one who will complete the work. And that work will be completed on the day we see him face to face. And we are transformed more fully into his likeness. And so Paul invites us to look forward to the day of Christ, the day when he returns. But in the meantime, Paul prays for them and, and we can pray for one another that we, in the words of verse 11, will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Not filled with the righteousness that comes through man-made obedience, but filled with the righteousness that comes by faith. Filled with the righteousness that, that Martin Luther referred to as an alien righteousness. Like, like, this is not according to my nature. This, this did not well up from inside me. No, this came from outside of me. And God, the Holy Spirit, outside of me, came to live within me. And he transformed me from the inside out with a righteousness that I don't even recognize. It's, it's, it's a crazy outside of me, alien righteousness. A righteousness we didn't earn by human effort, but rather were gifted by grace. And that's why. He says that the fruit of this righteousness is to the glory and praise of God. Because he is the one doing the work, and anyone being honest with themselves knows that he is the one doing the work. So Jesus, he takes our sin. He takes its penalty. He takes all of that ugliness and depravity. And he bears it on his back. And then he gifts his righteousness to us. His own righteousness that we have by faith in him. And then the beauty of this alien righteousness that, that, he, that he places within us is that it's not just something that, um, that he gives us legally before God. Like, yes, we're justified in the words of Romans. Like, we are declared righteous, and that's beautiful. 
but it's also the seed of his righteousness that be, it's, it's planted like a seed within us and it begins to grow out. Okay? He puts his righteousness in us and his righteousness begins to bear fruit. And that's, and that's what this verse is talking about. He says, I pray that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. The righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I pray that gospel fruit gifted to you by grace, will be born in you. What is this gospel fruit that we speak of? The, 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 the scripture speaks of fruit in a lot of different ways, but, but all of it is the fruit of the gospel living within us. So we could turn to Galatians and we could read about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit who is given to us by grace through faith in the gospel. What is that fruit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You don't get these things by the law. You can't, you can't manufacture joy by doing better and trying harder. You certainly can't manufacture patience. Like, well, I can manufacture self-control. Yes, because you're proud. Okay? And then you can look down on all the other people who are not self-controlled, which is not loving. Which is to say it's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's just that you have certain strengths and other people have different strengths and we have a tendency to compare our different strengths and see where we can end up on top of the pile. But that is not the the work that the Spirit is doing within us. Jonathan Edwards, speaking of this passage in in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit, he, he referred to it as concatenated, which I've never heard that word used by anybody else other than me quoting him. Um... Maybe some other preacher, maybe Keller quoting him and me quoting Keller quoting him. I didn't get, I don't read Edwards much. Okay, but, but he said that the fruit of the Spirit, it's like a cluster of grapes. That's what, I, I guess that's what concatenated means. Okay, but it's like a cluster of grapes where they all grow up together. It's, it's not that you're, you're really loving but lack self-control. No, that, that just might mean that you're like a sentimental extrovert or whatever. You know, but, but, but when they grow up together, we know that it's God that it's, that it's at work and it's the gospel that's bearing fruit, amen? Where else do we see fruit in Scripture? We see the fruit of multiplication. You know, where the gospel is implanted in our life and it begins to take root and grow and it grasps our heart in such a way that, that we just can't help but share it with somebody else. Okay, and, 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 and in our excitement for the grace that we've been shown, that, that grace begins to take root in somebody else's life and it begins to multiply. You know, we're looking for both as we pray that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Again, filled with gospel fruit. The, fruit, the righteousness that comes through Jesus, it's not a do better, try harder. It is a gospel fruit. We're looking for character transformation. We're looking for multiplication. We're, we're, we're praying that God would transform us in such a way that we would be his agents to transform this world. That's gospel fruit, and that's the fruit we're praying for, Amen. That's all we got for today. Let's, let's pray on that. And let's sing of the God who wants to work that kind of grace within us. Amen? Oh, God. I just love preaching your gospel. I love opening up your word and seeing gospel truth after gospel truth. I love that your word is just filled and overflowing with grace. And God, I pray that we also would be a people who are filled and overflowing with grace. Um, 
Lord, I pray that your grace would be changing our desires, that your grace would be changing our attitudes, that your grace would be changing the perspective that we have to everyone around us, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as those who don't know you yet. Lord, may we never be judgmental, but may we be humble as you were humble. And God, I just look forward to the opportunity to continue to explore these themes together. And I pray that through them, we will be renewed in your grace. God, I pray we know the joy of seeing that work out in every area of our lives. Amen.